Amen. Well, take your, uh, take your Bible, and uh, we're going to look at uh, Luke. We're going to continue in our study this morning, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. It's been our joy to revisit uh, Luke's gospel. I've entitled the message, uh, How Jesus Related to Women. And I must just say here at the get-go, I, uh, I never heard a message or a lecture or a sermon on this topic. And uh, as I began to study it this week, it was like the Lord pulled back the veil and taught me some things and burned my heart on some things uh, that I needed to teach uh, you and that I needed to learn, first of all, through the week and continue to learn, but to share with you some of these things that uh, God has uh, given us in His Word that we might, A, think biblically, and if we've done wrong, find repentance and correction, and uh, that we might uh, uh, be the children of God, the children of light that God desires us to be uh, in this, this whole uh, realm. Well, how Jesus related to women. You know, women, uh, as you know, uh, are the fairer sex. They're certainly more beautiful than you are, guys. Thank the Lord, amen. I'd rather see a woman than a face of a man, and, and we understand that, don't we? Thank you. That's, yeah, that's better. And, and they tend to be weaker, though not always the case, physically weaker. Um, I've seen some exceptions to that. Uh, shame on that man that was a part of that picture, but uh, sometimes it happens that way. Uh, I remember on the wrestling team, uh, the girls' gymnastic team, would, uh, the coach who had uh, uh, back in high school, this was he. Uh, the girls would come in. He'd, he'd bring them in one for twenty minute one day, and uh, do Indian uh, wrestling. Do you know what Indian wrestling is? In the leg wrestling, uh, it, yeah, it was, it's kind of humiliating, really. Uh, from a woman uh, physically, from the navel down, is as strong or stronger than a man can be. From the from here up, well, she's equipped to do other things, uh, family and good things like that. Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> Amen. Let's hear an amen there. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And anyway, you do this Indian leg wrestling where you op, your head's at opposite end, laying on the wrestling mat, interlock a leg, and then put up so you can win, you know? And you discover that a lot of the girls are strong in the legs as men, but, but overall they don't, they don't have the strength of the men. That's how God designed. God designed, as we saw last semester, men, you are to be... We're to be cultivators, right? Leaders, cultivators, and then what we cultivate in life and in our work and in our families, we're builders. We build and then we protect. That's the role of a man today. Forget all the mush that floats around in the culture. Men are beat up all the time in the media, mamby-pambies and all that, and a lot of the women like that until they need a real man, and they say, uh, I'll give you back your spine. Would you be a man for the next hour? Sometimes, yeah, it's, it's crazy like that. And my mother, who's lived long enough, uh, who uh, said, I can't believe these, uh, the feminist movement and all that, and, the, and they don't want a man. They don't, you know, we think we live without, until we need a real man. And don't buy any of that. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, guys. Be real men. Be godly. And we're going to learn about that here today as to what that means. Well, women are certainly uh, more beautiful, and uh, they're the fairer sex, they're physically weaker, and because of that, and you know as well as I, that they have suffered a lot of physical abuse 
through the centuries of time. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the Nazi philosophy that came, might is right, will crush you if you're weak. And that has not only been from the 1800s through the Nazism, but uh, cultures have, have been, uh, since the fall of Adam, uh, uh, he shall rule over you. Men, some men in many places have been uh, uh, tyrannical in their, in their uh, domination of uh, the fair sex. And it's, uh, it's sinful, it's evil, it's wrong. It's not right. Faith and I are going to see that, Lord willing, firsthand next month as we do the missions trip and, and uh, teach and preach the expatriate church in Doha, Qatar. And uh, the women, they're, they're treated like cattle. They are. I'd like to have three other wives in your house. Well, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. It'd be, anyone in favor of that? It should be, it's an unwritten thing. It ought to be one woman per kitchen. You ever notice that? <laughs> I don't even go in there when Faith is up to her mad scientist dinner, which is wonderful. But I hang around the outside wondering, do you need any help in there, baby? You know? <laughs> and it's a good team, right? But they have three or four. And, and, the, and that's right. There's abuse. I mean, there's a mutilation that takes place in, in places in Asia and Africa, physical mutilation. Uh, and and, and there, there's physical abuse through alcohol and drugs here. It's not uncommon. As a pastor these many years, I've been called in to help where, where the wife has been beat up physically by a drunken husband. I came in one case, she had a shotgun in her mouth. Uh, I mean, horrible things. Just horrible, horrible, horrible things. Horrible things. And that's never to be the case. Ever, ever. And it's the Lord Jesus who changed the whole world and corrected it. He's the creator. He's the one, you know. When you read Genesis, that's the Lord Jesus who created made the male and female. That's the Lord pre-incarnate. And he established marriage, and he established the role of Adam and the role of Eve in all men and all women. And he corrected that. And, uh, and, we, and, 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 and here's the thing. I think I have it on your sheet here. Yeah, uh, let me go back just, Phil, so 10 of you don't ask me. Many places they're treated as property. Even that religious Jew that Jesus referred to, remember in the Gospels, he's there praying by the temple. Oh, and part of it is, thank you, Lord, that I'm not a woman. Gives you an idea of some of the disdain that uh, that Jew wrongfully had of the fair uh, sex, the more gentle sex, that of uh, the woman. And uh, we, we even see it, uh, you can write down John 4.27. Write that down, we won't look at it. But there you see a little bit of it when they're at the woman at the well. When Jesus came, he's by appointment sharing with her the gospel. I am he, he says, the Messiah. And then the disciples came later, and the text says in John 4, 27, they were surprised that he was even speaking to a woman. Now there it is. You can, I mean, it's a lot said there. You want to make more of it than what, what is. But for a man to speak to a woman was... You know, she was less than by far, and that should not be your thought, and that should not be your mindset. And quite, it's, in fact, it's quite reverse on that, and, and we see that in how the Lord treated in his relationship with women. It was uh, Jesus, I have on your sheet, who set women free from such abuse. You see, God, as God, he intended 
uh, and created, Adam and Eve, both made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. Uh, they have personality. They both have uh, the equal image of God. It's not a lesser image. And in fact, uh, Paul tells us that the woman is the glory of man. In other words, she is to be elevated. She isn't, uh, we, we often say that at weddings, that she stands next to us, uh, a groom, because uh, she's to be at his side as a partner. And that's right. But she is to be, as the glory of man, she's to be elevated uh, in her standing, in her relationship uh, to her man. And that's the way we are to think about that. This uh, past week uh, was Valentine's Day. I hope that didn't just hit you in the head, men. Is oh, no. <laughs> you have other problems, if that's the case. Uh, and I was thinking about Faithy and uh, trying to express to her all that she means to me, and I can barely do that. Um, not only is my lover, friend, partner in life, mother of my children, companion, prayer, prayer partner, ministry partner, but as I thought about it, under the Lord, she is my greatest asset. She is. So I'm the upfront guy, but so much of what happens here and beyond is because of her help to me. All her little stickums and notes. I'm not always glad to see them, but I'm always. I know she's always right. You know, like, oh no, or. You know, I don't think, and, and the critique, I, Terry, I don't think I would have said it quite that way. You know, be gentle, be easy, just one of those, you know, that kind of thing. But she is. She's the, she's the best thing that ever happened to me. I'll miss her this week to pieces. And, uh, but she's that way. And, and that's, that's, that, that, I think it's biblical to the core uh, as we think about that. Made in the image of God, both equal, uh, John MacArthur's book, equal yet distinct. God has a different role for men and a different role for women, equal. We stand on the same plane, co-heirs, Peter said, in the things of salvation. Uh, uh, women aren't behind or somewhere distant, but right next to their men. All right, but different by this in distinction. Uh, men, you're to be the uh, leaders in your home, okay? It's, uh, you're side by side, but uh, God has called you to be the leader. You're the pastor in your home. I'm doing my job. I'm training you men to, to be the shepherds. Teach your, 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 your wife, your children, if God gives you, your grandkids, the things of God's Word. Okay? You're, you, you develop them. You cultivate them. And then you protect them. I mean, that, that's something. Step up to it. In the church, it's the same way. Men and women are equal, equal standing before God. But God in his sovereignty has male leadership in the church. I'm so grateful for the godly men that God is allowing us to raise up. The elders we have, some that are elders at large, and we praise God for that. And some of you younger guys aspire to that. We want to do. We want to help develop you and and see you grow. That we're not going to be around here forever. And I, back when a number of years ago when we began Greece, I said, "What could we give a greater gift than than to the next generation, to our kids, if God would be pleased to raise up a vibrant community of faith that they could worship the Lord, grow in grace, enter in, engage in discipleship? It's the greatest thing ever. Have you come to realize that?" It's not getting ahead in life. It's not bigger, better. It's not just this more and more of this and that kind of stuff. That stuff never satisfies. And so we thought, man, if God allowed that, and God keeps leading us and blessing, there's going to come a time when we're going to be done and we've got to pass that baton on. 
and we like to encourage our men to grow up. But what about the women? The women have a distinctively different role, equal but distinct. You know, yet uh, physically, uh, ladies, you're the one that bear the babies, and most men are glad of that. You say, I've never heard them say equal rights. I want to do that. No, I never heard that. Jim, are you questioning that? Is that right? There you go. <laughs> I'm glad for that. I've been there three times. Glad that that was Faithy's God-given role. <laughs> and today was the day, 25 years ago, last time we went to bat. And there we go. So, uh, and, and so many other ways that complement, so many other things that, that I need, and, and so on and so forth. And it's beautiful how God blends that, uses that. And we as Christian men need to think rightly about the women in our lives and in our workplaces, and in our schoolyards, and those in society, and neighborhoods. And, and uh, we live in a day where women are objects, sex objects. It's evil to the core. We talk a lot about that at men's fraternity. We did the other day, anyway. You know, pornography and all that uses women wrongly, disdains them, that treats them as odd. It's evil. Or to lift them and elevate them. Our relationship should be pure with all the women around. None of this thing on the side, you know. Guys reach a certain age and something happens to them sinfully. And they start running around their secretary. It's evil. It's evil. It's the wrong use of that woman. Or to think right. Say, God, cleanse my thought. Let me, she's, a, she's a co-heir with the things of God. Uh, she is to be uh, like our Lord, we're going to see our Lord's relation. It's with purity. It's with integrity. It's with kindness. It's with a protective sense. It's the way that uh, we men need to take care and protect the women around us with utter respect. Okay? I mean, that, uh, if you got that, you can go home now. That's sort of the sermon. <laughs> But uh, it's a powerful message, and it's a very rare message, not heard often in our day. Where, where, and women are all confused. Am I supposed to be a sex object? Do I have to get ten surgeries? Or what happens when it begins to fade and all that? Now listen, ladies, you're beautiful, and God has made each one of you with unique gifts and beauty. Beauty, and you're, you're far more than your body. You're, the beautiful part is your soul and your heart. Just become all that God wants you to be and use the gifts that he's given you. And we want to help you do that as men. I mean, write, write it down. Uh, uh, just let me jump ahead. Look at 1 Timothy 5. This is how we are to treat. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, the young pastor, this is how older women, older, younger women, older men, younger men are to be treated. Uh, he's talking here in 1 Timothy 5. Uh, Timothy, do not rebuke an older man. Don't be, what? Don't do that. Don't, don't be tart. Don't, don't blow him up. But encourage him as you would your father. So, so if uh, men, that are, men that are older than you, treat them. Uh, treat them as if you were your father. And ladies, the same. And look at younger men. What about those underneath you? Have you noticed there's some usually above you and below you in age? Treat them as brothers. That's a beautiful, respectful relationship. How about the women? Older women, verse, uh, verse 2, uh, you're to treat as mothers. Uh, they're ladies and men, those ladies that are older, older than the we're to treat them with all the respect and godliness and care as you would your mother. 
Uh, that's what we ought to do. That's what Jesus did. Even he's dying on the cross. And he attends in a caring way for the needs of his mother. Wow. And you could have said, man, you know, don't you have enough problems? There you are dying for the sins of the world. Look at that. John, take her home. Mother, that's, look at that. And to the younger women, look at this. Notice they're not sex objects. They're not just bodies. What? He says here, younger ones you are to treat as sisters with what? All purity. If we would embrace that, it would change the way we live. It would change our society. It would change our culture. That's the way that we need to raise our children. That's the way we need to function. Now, I'm not saying you won't be tempted. Just bring that all before the Lord. How about Job? I made a covenant, man. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. When you're tempted, stop that. Just pray for her. Pray for her purity. Okay? I know the eye gate is very strong to a man. And give that to the Lord. Yield your, your eyes to him. Well, that was a little bit extra, but um, uh, let's, let's get back here. Uh, to, to our text here. Uh, God designed distinct roles. We said that. He came to elevate women to their, a woman to her rightful place. Now Luke's gospel, you should know that, I've not said this before, is often known in theological circles as the ladies' home journal of the Bible. Did you know that? You didn't know that. I didn't say that to you before. The ladies' home journal of the Bible. Some of you have no idea what that is. You don't read it. But it's a ladies' magazine. It has all kinds of tips and things for house and garden and home and, and meals and all that kind of thing. Uh, from the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke pays special attention to women whose lives are transformed by the coming of Jesus. I mean, he does all over the place by God's direction and leading. He includes in his gospel account Women everywhere, of all sorts. Matthew does a little bit. John does a little bit. Mark does a little bit. Dr. Luke, and remember, he's the beloved physician, all over the place. And therefore, it's known as, uh, affectionately, the, uh, the gospel uh, of uh, the Ladies' Home Journal. Uh, and his, his point is, always, is that uh, true faith always responds Similar to uh, James, right? True faith works. True faith responds. And as Jesus is moving in these early days of his ministry, especially in Luke 8, where we'll glance at, uh, it touches men and women, boys and girls, and, and they respond. When their lives are changed, there's a response. If your life has been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ and you've come to know him, you're not the same. You can't be. Your life and all that it entails is to be given to the Lord. You can't remain the same. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. Behold, all things are new. All the old is gone, all things is new. New is the word kainos. It means uh, not new in order, but a new quality of a whole new kind and character is what Paul is saying. And, uh, and, and Luke is going to point out the men whose lives are changed and the ladies and how their life changes. So look at uh, Luke 8, just three verses, uh, verse 1, 2, and 3. Soon afterward, after what? After uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the forgiveness of sins in chapter 7 with the, uh, with the prostitute who came in and anointed Jesus' feet. Remember that last time? Soon after that, Luke says, Jesus, that's he, went on through cities and villages, 
proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and notice, and many others, many other women, that is, who provided for them out of their means. That's financial provision. These women cared for the physical necessities of this traveling entourage of Jesus, the Twelve, and, and, uh, and these ladies and more that were traveling with the Lord. Now, just two, two observations as we observe the women and their various roles in ministering to the Lord Jesus during this earthly ministry. You see, Luke desires us to know in his gospel <coughs> that women played a large part in Jesus' life. A lot of times we have the wrong idea, don't we? We sometimes think of Jesus as the Lone Ranger. He's out there all by himself. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's doing this, doing that. And, oh, yeah, oh, that's right. He's got the 12 going with him. And that's right. And they were going with him, and he was training them. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there were more with this group. There were the ladies that also went. And that was rare in that day because ladies did not travel with itinerant rabbis. They didn't do it. They weren't allowed in their, in their writings. The Lord came to make a correction. that They would think rightly about the role of women. And there's a very, very vital role for women in the ministry of God's precious word. And Luke wants us to know that. He wants us to know that it's not always the person in the foreground who is doing the greatest work. Do you know that? Not always the person who's up front, the up fronter. That's doing the greatest work from God. It'll be the judge, it'll be the bama seat of Jesus that will reveal that. How many uh, uh, ministries have gone forward because of those holding the ropes back home through financial giving and making it possible? Jonathan going to Haiti and others and, and uh, ministry of missions around the world and for church plants like this, for all of you that sacrifice and give financially, uh, to the work of the ministry. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. It's about uh, God's testimony here in our community. It's about Him. But it's, uh, it's not always the one up front. It isn't. It isn't. Remember Paul's uh, final words there to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6? Remember to pray for me, he said, that I might be able to boldly make utterance of this gospel and the advancement of what he's counting on the prayers. Remember what Spurgeon said all the time when thousands upon thousands there in London kept showing up and they were like, how did this happen? And he said, well, the only reason that God uses me in the pulpit is my people are praying for me. They're holding the rope behind the scenes. They're praying while he's preaching. Oh, I wish, I can't wait till the day when we have that, a prayer circle while we're having worship and, and, and uh, those praying that God's word would just blossom and go into the hearts and lives of people. People would get saved and saints would grow in their saintliness and godliness and training and uh, so on. It's giving, it's using skills and gifts of teaching, helps, all these things that make it go behind the scene. So important. These ladies, maybe you never knew of it, 
there they are, making the physical ministry of Jesus possible. And these what? Through their being there, caring for his food needs probably and their needs, and through their financial resource and supporting the work of the Lord Jesus. What a great thing. Wow. Holding the ropes behind. Many of them not even mentioned, as the text indicates. Well, the first observation is Luke tells us of the setting, that Jesus is on the road with the twelve. On the road again, right? Here he is on the road. It's, it's odd to us that have, we have universities and college campuses and seminaries. Uh, it's a little more now where we have internet training and things like that, where you can do it home or wherever. But it was not uncommon in that day, beyond the synagogue, to have traveling itinerant uh, uh, teachers, and that's what Jesus is doing here, and he's on the road again. He has left uh, that setting, uh, and he is uh, making his way around the area. Soon after his meal with Simon, that's the end of chapter 7, Jesus travels to what? Big cities and little villages in Galilee. Big and little, both. What? He's, uh, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom, you see, was near. Why? Because the king was standing in their midst. That's not Elvis. Some of you like to say, oh, the king. No, that's not Memphis. No, <laughs> the king is gone. He won't be back. Any of that, this is King Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom was right there, and he's preaching. And uh, wouldn't that have been something to be able to hear him? Now, I'm glad we're born 20 centuries later. We live here. I don't want to say I'm wimpy, but I like warm showers and flush toilets and you know, I like doctor care today, right? Transportation, cell phones. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm wimpy or what, but if I could flash back there and to hear the Lord come to town and under the tree or somewhere else, preaching, teaching, I, wow, my imagination. I've heard some great preachers through the years, and I often remember them. Adam Robinson preaching away, Franklin Graham, Dr. Ernie Pickering. <clears throat> oh, gold and silver tongue. Great preaching, and uh, oh, but to say, including that, oh, and I heard Jesus preach. Wouldn't that be something? There he is in great time. I wasn't there. I'm only going to go to the big cities. No, that wasn't the Lord. No, great and small, and the idea is it's a Hebrew, and it's an expression, a merism, in all the places in between. Look at that. He wasn't too, too, uh, too great, and in all his greatness to go to even little towns and little villages. Well, why was, why was that? Well, his message was the one gospel for the whole world. The one message for the whole world. It's still true today, you know that? It's the one message for the whole world. And he's doing, uh, he's doing exactly what, uh, in that day, what the Old Testament said he would do. And I have on your sheet Isaiah 61, and then fulfilled in Luke 4, 16 to 30, as the Lord indicated there at Nazareth, and uh, he was preaching the good news of the gospel, prophesied by Isaiah hundreds of years ahead. And then in Luke 4, he says, this day it has been fulfilled. Wow. Teaches something about Old Testament prophecy and their fulfillment here in the life of Christ. He's preaching that which God had promised hundreds of years ahead of time. Wow. It was glorious. His message was the one gospel for the whole world, still true today. All people everywhere need to hear this gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. That's actually the verb. It's a command. Make disciples of all people everywhere. 
You know, heaven's going to be filled with people of every nationality, of every tribe. There'll be, not everybody, no, but there'll be samplings of all. You may say, I'm the only one in my family. And may, you may be the only one in your family that, that has received the calling and election and salvation of God. What a glorious thing. Man, wow. I had a joy, and I think about that, on one occasion uh, to preach in England and to preach the one gospel to the English and then uh, to be in Europe and to, to preach there, uh, there through a translation, a translator in Germany, and then in Asia to preach the one gospel there to the Cuttery and to the uh, expatriates, and in South America, uh, Central America, and preaching to Nicaragua uh, through a translation. The one gospel for the whole world is still true today. And it has nothing to do with Muhammad or Islam. They're dead. There's nothing there. It's not Hinduism. It's not Buddhism. It's not Confucianism. It's none of that nuts. Not humanism, just how great we are. Let's hug each other. No, it's, it's Christ the Lord. He came. It's the great love story. Listen, some of you need to be freed up in your evangelism. You know why? People love stories, and people love particularly love stories, don't they? This has been Valentine's Day. You know, I hope you shared uh, how you met your sweetie or how you're still looking for your sweetie or whatever it is, right? Love stories. People love that. Listen, change the way you think about the gospel. It is truly the greatest love story ever told. It is. God's love for lost sinners. Change the way you do that. Uh, and and it will, it, perhaps God will use that to draw people to a saving knowledge of Christ. It is the great love story. That's the one message for the whole world, that God so loved that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe you're here today and you need to hear that. Maybe some of you have never trusted Christ the Lord to say, there's room at the cross for you, for all of you. Come. Come today. Recognize you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We're lost. I was born lost. You were born lost. The only difference is, are you, have you trusted Christ? Have you received his death as your own? His payment for your sin through his death? You can do that. Come. Whosoever, whosoever, put your name in there shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Amen. I stand in that. God, God saved me when I was a young boy, and he's kept me all these years. The one message for the whole world. And that's why Jesus went to great cities and small towns and all of that uh, to, 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 to preach the great love story. And you should know that people love Jesus. Did you know that? Sometimes we get the wrong idea about that because they killed him and all that. But people loved him. They responded to him. All over the place, he would preach, he would teach, he would heal, and the throngs of people would just follow. Now, it's true, there were some Pharisees that hated him. There were some Sadducees. You know why the Sadducees were sad? You always remember this. The, as a political group, and they tend to be wealthy, they didn't believe in the resurrection. You would be sad, too, if you didn't believe in the resurrection. And now you know why they were sad, you see. You'll never forget that. Some of them opposed him, too. Right? Yeah, and so on. But don't, don't miss it. The great hordes and the crowds of people thronged to him. They loved him. And you, you see that in the gospel account, wherever he, had, wherever he went. One man writes, I gave you the quote, there is, there's never been a man whose personality and teaching were more attra attractive to women than Jesus Christ. Did you know that? You see that in the text. It's amazing. 
maybe never thought of it in quite that venue. But I think that author is right. Now, Jesus, you know, did not travel alone. The 12 men he had chosen in the sovereignty to be his disciples were with him. Luke 6, you can re- remind yourself of that again. Luke 6, 12 to 16. We saw that a long time ago, back when we were in that part of Luke. The, the 12 disciples, who 11 would be the apostles after the resurrection. The Lord had spent all night in prayer to his Father, and then he selects him, and they're with him. He's training them. They're helping him. He's pouring his life into him for this three-year period of time. And they would go forth everywhere and teach the gospel of Jesus once he ascended into glory. He was mentoring them. Well, that, uh, that's the setting. We need to note that as he makes, uh, makes off on the road again on this itinerant ministry of preaching the gospel of Jesus. Now, here's the, here's the core of our, our text today, and that's the second and final observation. Luke also wants us to know that there are women. There are women near the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He wasn't sexist. He wasn't chauvinist. He's creator, God, redeemer. He's the Christ. And women were included in this blessed company, this entourage, that traveled about the countryside of Galilee preaching the good news of this kingdom. These women gave to Jesus what they had to give. And you know what? And so should we. Shouldn't we? What do you have that you've not received? I got news for you. Everything you have, you've received. You came in absolutely naked. You were there, but you don't remember. Somebody patted you on the butt, you had nothing there. Okay, and we kind of get the idea, I'm a self-made, what? It's an illusion. Every talent, every gift, every ability, the fact that you live this long, Every, every dime that you have, every possession, it's not really, it's not yours to, to keep. You know, they'll pry your hands off that stuff when you breathe their last and you'll leave it all. God has given it to us, talents, gifts, abilities, the whole caviar of life, what? To say, Lord, here it is. Here am I, use me. I being in the way the Lord used me. And he wants to use every one of you. And we all have different stories and different whatever. And God wants to weave all that together to use for his glory. He wants to use you. Say, I don't have much. doesn't matter. You have something. You can do something someone else can't do. You can give something someone else can't give. And we all do that together for the glory of Christ. Don't do it for me. I could care less if anyone knows my name. That We want people to know Christ. Use it for him. These ladies gave what they could give. They gave their time. They gave their resources. They, text doesn't say, but they probably cooked up plenty of meals, right? Amen? I like that. Three times a day, right? They did. They took care. Why? So they're holding the ropes so that what? Jesus could preach and teach and minister. He was, he was all man. He was God man, but he was all man. He hungered. We saw that at temptation, right? And the disciples, they're salt-of-the-earth men. They like to eat, too. Fish, more than just on Fridays, I bet. <laughs> well, uh, we need to do the same. What? Give to Jesus what we can give. Well, from the beginning of the gospel, and A, Luke tells us the important role that women played in the life of Christ. i just give you 
if you have a place to mark, or did I write it down on a sheet? I don't remember. Just a, just a brief introductory thumbscale. How about Elizabeth? Elizabeth was aged. She's barren. Luke tells us all about her. And she, is, uh, she is going to, uh, uh, in time, bear a son. Why, she trusted uh, God for the gift of a son. And God gave what? What's his, what was the son, her son's name? John the Baptist. That's right. Look at that. And it's Dr. Luke, the physician, the beloved, who notes that. And adds to it. So, hey, don't forget Elizabeth here. And then Mary, the young virgin, probably 16, maybe 17, maybe 15. She had the privilege of being the blessed woman, the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, who would have the joy of singing lullabies to the Christ. Now think about that. I used to love that when Faithy would rock our children when they were just born and, and sing and, and, and hum. And I thought, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Mary had that privilege. Think of that. Mary and, and, and Luke traces her whole genealogy. Mary is big in focus uh, in comparison to the other gospel. How about Anna? He, he cites there at the, at the birth of Christ, the aged lady. I mean, she's, she's ancient. There she is in the temple waiting for the arrival of God's promised one. It's Luke that tells us about Anna. And then she sees the baby with joy. I've seen this promised one of the Lord. It's Luke that tells us about it in this gospel. That's really the women's journal gospel, if you will. How about Peter's mother-in-law? The other gospels don't tell us that uh, actually the Lord there at Capernaum went into, uh, into, after being in the synagogue teaching, went into Peter's house and his mother-in-law sick. And Jesus goes over and heals her. And she, gets, she rises instantly, not three days later, Instantly, and then and, and waits and serves him. Instantly. It's, it's looked at. How about the widow at Nain? We saw that a few weeks ago. The brokenhearted woman had nothing, destitute, her only child, her only son. And Jesus meets him. Life meets death. The whole parade going out to the cemetery. And that's the way it is in life. All humanity followed the casket out to the cemetery until they met by God's appointment a parade, and he stops it cold and says to her son, Arise, and gives her back. Oh, so many things. We, I don't want to re-preach that, but, but there's a picture of your resurrection. Arise. There's a picture of the great reunion. There she is hugging her son who was once dead. It's, it's Luke that tells us about this widow and her, her brokenheartedness. And finally, uh, just uh, the, the, four, the, the forgiven prostitute we saw last time. Here she is weeping uh, and her tears, wiping his, his feet with her hair and anointing his feet with expense. She gave everything she had, this expensive perfume. Wow, it's Luke that tells us all that. It's amazing. Is it any wonder why these women loved Jesus? They did. Why? He satisfied their heart with salvation. Satisfied. Isn't that a great thing? The satisfaction of knowing Christ. It's not things. It's not achievement. Those things have their place. But it's the joy of Jesus, knowing him and loving him and growing. He would satisfy their soul. He forgave them their sin. He filled their hearts with joy and satisfaction, according to the Scriptures. He had compassion on them and their sickness. We see that, don't we? We see that. Peter's mother-in-law and others. He's, he has compassion. He didn't just pass by, oh, you're a woman, who cares? You know, he took notice. He cared for them. And he healed them. And he delivered them, even from 
uh, demonic oppression and the like, and even from their sorrow, the widow at Nain and others. As a result, as a result of that, because faith works, they became some of his very first disciples, and they followed him all the way to the end. And in response to his work in their lives, they were utterly devoted. Well, did you know this? Just here's a here's a B. Did you know this? That no women, and this is amazing. Get get your head around this. No woman in the scriptures ever is it mentioned that she ever spoke against the Lord Jesus. Now that's quite something. No woman is ever recorded, ever spoke one word against Jesus. Ever. There are plenty of men that do. Do you can you think about them in the text? Plenty of them. And more than that, you'll never find, that's in his life in ministry, more than that, you'll never find in the text any, any woman that was ever a part of putting him to death. Never. Out plenty of men, plenty of them. But you'll never find it ever written that a woman spoke against him in his life or worked to see him crucified. Never, ever. In fact, on the contrary... It's a rather amazing. Women anointed him for his burial. You see that in the text. Uh, you can look up the references. I, I didn't write them down. Uh, women never abandoned him. The disciples, they abandoned him. They fled from the garden. Remember when they arrested him? They, we're out of here. Right? Not the women. Never. Wow. That's convicting, men. Amen? Feet, do your thing. Not the ladies. Uh-uh, we're hanging tough. Wow. They were the last at his grave and the first at his resurrection. Wow. Didn't know that. How about uh, three? Jesus' first appearance after his resurrection was to a woman. Look at the honor and respect. He could have walked right by. You're not important. Where are the men? You know? No. Elevated. Isn't that amazing? It says something. Maybe we ought to correct the way we're thinking sometimes about the role of women. Even a heathen woman, get this, Pilate's wife, intercedes for his life. Remember that in the trial? She warns her husband, Pilate, don't do anything to him. She intercedes to try and preserve his life. He's not done anything. He's an innocent man. Wow. And Luke records that. And above all, of course, Jesus was born of Mary, the final honor of all, right? Blessed Mary, a young Jewish girl, had the privilege uh, of, of bearing the Christ child. Well, Luke mentions in our text uh, three women by name. Uh, how about that, having your name in the Bible? We mused on that before. Wouldn't it be something to have your name in the Bible? What a great thing. Well, some of you may be named Mary. I know Maria's here. That's a form of Mary. Oh, you were there? <laughs> wow. Boy, you look good for your age. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe some of you are Joanna and Susanna, and they're the three ladies that are mentioned by name. What a, what a great privilege. Wow, they have your name. And these, uh, these three ladies are highlighted for their distinctive service to the Lord. And notice it's behind the scenes, but it made his earthly ministry possible. Do you know how many, and Stephen could tell us more with mission, how many mission fields are held together by women? Now, where are the men? You know, like, where are the guys? How many churches 
because uh, uh, for a lot of reasons, but there are not a lot of men there, and the ladies are holding it together. I'm telling you, it's incredible. The godly role of, of women is amazing, and so much of it behind the scenes. Even my alma mater up at, at uh, where I did my college work, <laughs> the early stories of those days, the, the women did a lot of the teaching up there because they didn't have the professor men yet. And the ladies were part of the early vision to get, we need to train, we need to train clergy. We need trained people for our churches. It was their burden. And that's what began a long time ago, that college. Uh, the role of women is enormous. And it's God-blessed. And only heaven will reveal how much of the ladies, so much of it behind the scenes, not always behind the scenes, but so much of it that really made the work of the gospel go forward. Heaven will reveal that. And I think we're going to be amazed. We're going to, the prayer warriors, the givers, the servers, all that the ladies did to make that, grease that, make that go, that the gospel would have free course. Well, Mary Magdalene, the first one mentioned, she was, uh, uh, she was the one, the text tells us in verse 2, she was healed by Jesus in the casting out of the seven demons. She was not a prostitute. Uh, church history and, and wrong thinking is has labeled that. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing in heaven to find out, you know, that someone labeled you as a, a woman of ill repute and it was not the case? Jesus Christ superstar portrays her as that. And others, she was not that. The scriptures never say that. She was, she was the victim of being ravaged by seven fallen angels. That's what the demons are, Satan's cohorts. And Jesus delivered her of that. Magda, Magda she was probably from... Uh, uh, Magna, which was uh, about three miles north of Tiberias, where Debbie left her diamond. I remember that. Never forget that on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> Thank the Lord it was there when we went back. John had just asked me about that the other day. And uh, just around the rim a little bit from Capernaum. And uh, she was a blessed servant of the Lord. You see, true faith responds. And she responded with all her life. Um, she stayed faithful to Jesus to the very end of his life, and I have a text there for you. How about Joanna? She's present with Mary Magdalene in the anointing of Jesus' body for the grave. She was from the Paris, the Paris, <laughs> thinking of Andy. She was from the palace of Herod, Herod's palace. Her, her husband was a big shot in the country. Um, uh, was, uh, he was a personal financial manager for the king. I mean, a more trusted position, there wasn't one. And if you're the king, you don't trust it with a guy who's sort of, you know, is he going to walk off with the books and the cash? And that was her husband, and here she is, a part of this entourage. You know, wow, that's amazing for Joanna. And we could have a sermon here in, in total, uh, because it shows the reach of the gospel, doesn't it? Uh, she was a woman of place and position and means. And here's Mary Magdalene. She was uh, demon-possessed, and who knows what her reputation was, probably horrible for years. She was uh, in the streets probably, probably half-naked while she was ravaged. And here's a lady of luxury and highest court, and it shows the reach of the gospel, doesn't it? And that's the gospel for all strata of life, the wealthy and the poor, uh, and all between, it's the one gospel for all the world. It's the gospel of Christ the Lord. Not many wise, not many noble, but some, but some. 
And here, this Blessed Lady Joanna seems to be one of them. And we thank the Lord for that. What a great thing. But not only does it show uh, that, uh, uh, oh, and let me say, remember Paul also said, and say hello to those of the household of Caesar. Remember that in Romans? He included that. I think it was that, or was it Second Timothy? I can't remember. But of the household of Caesar there in Rome, some had come to know Christ. The reach of the gospel. We can even reach uh, people that we think, ah, it'll never reach them. Oh, you don't know. You don't know. And then finally, it shows uh, how the Redeemer of the Lord are enabled to be one company in one gathering. Jesus enables the most diverse to live together without losing their personalities. I mean, you've got a former uh, lady demon-possessed and all that went with that and the ugliness of that, a woman of the, of, of the other strata and all the way in between. And, and uh, it's only the Lord that can take uh, nationalities and races and personalities and giftedness and economics and blend them together in a, in a gathering of, of a church. It's only he that can do that. And uh, that's what I want. I want a church that's tenderhearted, that loves the Lord, that is represented of the whole world right here at Grace. Right here at Grace. I keep looking around. We have all the nationalities right here. I see Russians around. I see the Asians around. I see the South Americans around. I see Latino. I I go like, why aren't they at Grace? We need them here. We're going to go stale and stagnate. Think somehow higher of ourselves than we should. And it's only the Lord that does that through us as we're fishing for men and women, boys and girls. And I pray that. I want that. And as you and I take the lowest spot in humility and serve all one, everyone else, then we'll be a real church, a dynamic power, the light of the gospel here, and we'll touch our world. I promise you for that. Wow. What do you have that you haven't received? You didn't. You didn't. God in his sovereignty has brought this about. And so that's what I want to see. I want to see the highest level to the lowest levels and everything in between and, and let God work in here in a dynamic way. I'll tell you, you'll be, you'll be coming here an hour. This is so exciting. I got to see what God's going to do here at Grace this week. I got to come here and get my cup of coffee. That's what I want. That's what we want. That's what we're praying for. And uh, if you're here, you belong here. Bring others with you. Let's fill this place and see what God is able to do through the likes of us. God knows he has to do it. can't be of us. And then finally, Susanna. We don't know anything about her. I like that. I like that. You know, it gives me encouragement. You know, you live in one little corner of the world, you're like, nobody knows me at all. Hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if anyone else knows you as long as God knows you. And he keeps the books. And, and he thought so highly of this that he put this woman's name in here, and we don't know anything else about her. Be encouraged by how you serve the Lord, what you do. God knows all about that. He's put it in your heart, given the opportunity, the abilities, uh, to be able to use whatever and all that you have to serve him. Susanna, her name is listed there. Isn't that great? The Lord knows it all. Well, D, these women financially supported Jesus' ministry with their money. That's what the text ends up saying, verse 3, who provided for them out of their own means. They gave of their resources. Wow. Wow. Well, this shows that there are a variety of ways that we can show our love for the Lord Jesus. Isn't that right? A variety of ways. Last, uh, last time we saw a woman who was a prostitute, who was forgiven completely, and she served the Lord by how? Worshiping him. 
And we can do that. We serve the Lord when we worship. She's, uh, she's at his feet, wiping his worshiping, adoring, and celebrating uh, while she's anointing with precious uh, perfume his feet. It's glorious, right? That's one way, and we do that. We can worship in our lives. We ought to do that. Worship it corporately. We ought to do that. But that's not the only way. There are other ways. These other gals today in our text, we find out these ladies are, are serving the Lord through their financial giving. And that's a wonderful way. Listen, ministry takes money. We live in a strange day with a lot of wrong thinking about money. But the bottom line is, is the Lord needs to be the Lord of your checkbook and of all that you have. And these ladies understood that. They responded to what God had done in their life. They loved the Lord, and they're willing to do whatever and offer to the Lord whatever he needed. And that's a mark of godliness. That's the right response. And some of us obviously do more than others, but uh, we all do what we can, and then some, and God gives the increase to the glory of God. Wow. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And I close with this illustration before I point out some lessons. There was once a shoemaker. Imagine that, kids. There was a day when (laughs) they actually made shoes. They measured your feet, and they actually made them. Came back a week later, two or three or whatever, and you got their shoes but so different than the day, right? But there was a day, uh, William Barclay tells the story of a shoemaker who had once wished to become a minister, but the way had never opened up to him. But he was a friend of a young divinity student, and when that young student was eventually called to his first church, the old shoemaker then asked him for a favor. He asked him, he said, may I always be allowed to make your shoes, so that I may feel that as you preach, dear pastor, that you're wearing the shoes that I made for you into your pulpit, into which I myself could never go. Now, there's a man that has the right view. He recognized his gifts, his abilities, the opportunity, and he was a part of carrying forth the word of the gospel by creating the very leather that that pastor stood in. And maybe uh, that's all of us. You know, I'm the upfront guy, so what? You know, God tapped me on the shoulder, go and do it. Are you sure? I don't think I can. Who's, who, who's able to do this? You know, I'm a sinful man, wonderfully redeemed too. No, no, you do that, you represent me, and then we're going to have a body, a body life. We're going to be discipling here, and there's a multiplicity of gifts, and we're going to use our gifts. Everyone's going to be involved and engaged when we gather and when we scatter for the glory of Christ. So that's what you are. You may be a shoemaker of sorts. Use your gifts. What can we say in closing? Lessons for our life, number one. Number one. Many of Jesus' greatest servants are in the background. They're unseen. They're unseen. They're holding the ropes that make it possible. They're essential. Without them holding the ropes, nothing would, would go. Nothing. It's important. It's important. Your role is important. Don't discount it. Number two. The faithfulness of these women is an example for all of us as believers and disciples. Faithful to the end. They never fled. They never denied the Lord. How about Peter, huh? We often quote Peter. You know, he denied the Lord 
I remember on another occasion he started sinking, remember? He took his eyes off the Lord. Well, we never see that about the women. The women ought to serve as an example, not only for the women here, but for the men and for all of us. They're a tremendous example of faithfulness. Lord, make me faithful. Do you, do you pray that way? I pray that way almost every day as I ask the Lord to allow the fruit of the Spirit to flow through me. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. Lord, make me faithful. I'm not faithful in and of myself. Make me faithful. You know what that means? It means to be dependable. You know, the Lord look at you and say, boy, have you considered my servant, not Joel, but you feel your name? Dependable. Faithful. These ladies were faithful to the very end and beyond. Number three, men like Jesus, your relationship to all women, this is what it is. Elevate and protect them. Elevate them. They're the glory of man, Paul tells us. Elevate them in your thinking. It's purity, not lust. Pornography, no way. That'll kill you spiritually. Put that stuff out. If you battle that stuff, put it out. Ask the Lord to forgive you and get away from that. Or any, or any sort of flirting in the office, in the classroom, even in dating. It's purity of life. Purity. Kindness. Jesus was kind to the ladies. Kind. It meant, it's how we speak to them. We're tired. You're overworked. You're pressed. And sometimes we can be real tart and short, can't we? Just let it fly. God forgive us. And we've all done it. Kindness. Kindness, that's the picture of Jesus. Kindness and respect from the heart, heart outward. And they know it. You've got to say, well, I'm going to start respect. They know. Uh, look, we know that. We know if we love or respect. Someone said if you have to tell someone you love them, you probably don't love them because they would already know that. Same thing as respect. If you tell, I'm going to respect you for that. No, they, they know if you respect. We ought to elevate them, protect them, purity, kindness, the relationship, men, that we bear with our women. And we, we, we want to see that really engendered here at Grace. It's such a different message from out there, and you know it. Number four, quickly, two more. Number four, what gifts, what gifts God has given to you, whatever they are, and there are probably more than one that you have, give them to the Lord. Let him use them. You'd be amazed what he's able to do. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. And they'll advance the kingdom. And number five and last, all, are, all of you are invited to respond to God's great love. If you have never come to Christ and received him as Savior and Lord, oh, do that today. Don't delay. Today's the day to do that. Wow. Well, I don't know if uh, you're in the habit of reading Ladies' Home Journal. I, 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 I'm not. It's... Uh, you know, I, I like Men's Journal. I, read that. I was reading that yesterday. <laughs> but, now, but Luke's Gospel is that way, and I'm so glad because it helps us, right, to understand Jesus' relation uh, to, to women. May God help us. May we be this kind of a church that have a vision for the world and those around us that uh, the Lord would use us to touch the lives of all those that we live work, study, and travel, do our trading with around us. May God help us. Shall we stand?